This is Unfilter, episode 333 for October 29th, 2020. If Crazy Joe becomes president, it's not even conceivable. No, no, running against him, it's put such pressure because I'm running against the worst in the history of presidential. And now if I lose, can you imagine? I'd rather run against somebody who's extraordinarily talented. At least this way I can go and lead my life. But we're not going to lose. We're going to win. We're going to win at numbers. We're going to win in numbers. Right? Hello, friend, and welcome into Lucky 333 of the People's History Podcast. This is that awkward one right before the election, or as I call it, the national time bomb. And there's a lot going on. First, at the very top of the show, I want to mention our election live coverage, live Tuesday, November 3rd. I plan to go live at 5 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash unfilter. That's 8 p.m. Eastern. Although I reserve the right, I may go earlier. So you, you may just want to follow unfilter on Twitch. I'm not sure if I'm getting the Twitch lingo right there. But my understanding is, because <laughs> I'm an old man, my understanding is there is a way for you to get notified when I go live on Twitch. Additionally, if you haven't joined our Discord yet, you might want to do that if you've been on the fence on filter.show slash Discord. I have a live text chat in there that also gets a notification whenever Unfilter goes live. And there will also be the voice chat. So you may want to consider joining unfilter.show slash Discord. But let's start with the state of the election, and with that, obviously, the state of the candidates. My name's Joe Biden. I'm Jill Biden's husband, and I am Kamala's running mate. <laughs> you all think I'm kidding, don't you? <laughs> Folks! <laughs> yeah, so Joe hasn't been on the old campaign trail a lot. He's been putting a lid on it quite a bit, but every now and then he makes it out there, and he has defended his approach to campaigning. Thanks so much, Mr. Biden. Um, you've kept a relatively light public schedule in the past few days. Can you give us a sense of what, how much you'll be traveling in the next few days, where you might be going? So the reporter asked Joe Biden, can you give us a sense of how much you're going to be traveling? Because he hasn't left his home much, which is unusual at this phase. And he is beginning to pick it up a bit. Uh, not a lot, though. Uh, he's at home today, as I record. But he is beginning to pick it up a bit. But you notice, notice how defensive he gets. I'm going to be traveling, and I, by the way, I traveled the last few days too. Are you are you going to Iowa, sir? Is that what you said? I'm going to be going to Iowa. I'm going to Wisconsin. I'm going to Georgia. I'm going to Florida, and maybe other places as well. I, this is something I've noticed about Joe. Is he always seems to have a bit of a, a defense of tone? Like he immediately kind of goes to, you know, maybe the question calls for a level three response, and he kind of comes in with a level seven point five, a level eight. Uh, and, and that's when that's when he's getting asked questions. But when he's reading statements or, or kind of even vamping, it kind of varies. And he's usually a little more even keeled, but sometimes he gets names confused, you know, like the guy he's running against. This is the most consequent, not because I'm running, but because who I'm running against. This is the most consequential election uh, in, a, in a long, long, long time. And the character of the country, in my view, is literally on the ballot. What kind of country we're going to be? Four more years of George... Uh, who? George George Bush? On the ballot. What kind of country are we going to be? Four more years of George, uh, George uh, he uh, is going to find ourselves in a position where if uh, Trump gets elected. Ah, there it is. There it is. George Bush, is uh, that was the last George, Republican. Uh, he uh, is going to find ourselves in a position where if uh, Trump gets elected, uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in a different world. Yeah, kind of like uh, when George was elected. So, <laughs> oh, it's funny. <laughs> I mean, it happens. Nancy Pelosi did it, too. Now, let's let's kind of talk about uh, this response to the Hunter Biden laptop. As as we've learned since the last episode, there was actually a couple of laptops, apparently, um, potentially multiple laptops. And it looks like the FBI got their hands on one of them uh, late 2019. And the Biden campaign before the debates last week issued a really strong statement on the emails. 
As you're looking live at the JW Marriott again, we now have an on the record statement from the Biden campaign in preparation for this. Andrew Bates, the spokesperson, saying this, as Chris Wallace said on the air about this very smear, Vice President Biden has actually released his tax returns, unlike President Trump, and there is no indication he ever got any money from anybody in these business deals. Joe Biden has never even considered being involved in business with his family, nor in any overseas business whatsoever. It goes on to say he has never held stock in any such business arrangements, nor has any family member or any other person ever held stock for him. What is true is that Tony Bobulinski admitted on the record to Breitbart that he is angry that he was not able to go into business with Hunter and James Biden. Now we'll get to who Tony is here in a moment. Continuing, what is also true is that in contrast to Vice President Biden, Donald Trump has a secret Chinese bank account and pays more in taxes in China than he pays in federal income taxes in the United States, and that this is a desperate, pathetic farce executed by a flailing campaign with no rationale for putting our country through another four years of hell. So that is the Biden camp response. Strong letter wait. to follow. Yeah, strong letter to follow as we wait for Tony Bobulinski. Uh- now they're waiting for this Tony Bobulinski guy to come up and do a press conference. Tony Bobulinski is an ex-business partner and associate of Hunter Biden, and he holds a press conference not maybe a half hour, maybe 45 minutes before the last presidential debate is to kick off. Thought. Hold that thought, Sorry about it. We'll come right, right back you. to you. We promised we'd go live when this yeah. Tony Bobulinski showed up at the GW Marriott. Uh, let's listen in. Involved in various successful businesses, both in this country and abroad. I'm making this statement to set the record straight about the involvement of the Biden family, Vice President Biden, his brother Jim Biden, and his son Hunter Biden, in dealings with the Chinese. I've heard Joe Biden say that he's never discussed business with Hunter. That is false. Now he goes on to hold up three phones uh, that he says he'll be turning over to the FBI that include text messages and emails and more. And some of that has come out. Um, and there's emails about a 2017 Chinese energy company deal. It was a big deal. Another big story now breaking last night. Again, this morning, a lot of details and nailed down on this. Federal law enforcement officials confirming with Fox that the laptop said to be belonging to Hunter Biden was subpoenaed by the FBI in connection with a money laundering probe in late 2019. Senator Marsha Blackburn now calling for a special prosecutor to investigate the Biden's overseas business activities. All right. So we've got a senator calling for a special prosecutor. <laughs> what did I say last week? In fact, if you're not up to date on the Hunter Biden emails, if you're kind of getting uh, catching this sort of midway in, I definitely recommend you check out 331 and 332 of the show. This is really a third kind of week of this information coming out. And last week I said this is going to have ra- lasting ramifications beyond the election. In fact, and I, I even believe this even even more so now, I don't think this is going to have a big impact on next week's election. I don't think this is going to sway the people that don't want to vote for Trump. This isn't going to change their minds. I think this is going to have a a longer lasting impact after the election. With this call for a a special prosecutor, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. There's there's a lot of source material here for them to just have a lot of fun with just to just especially if Biden wins the election. People are concerned. I will tell you, they're very concerned about what they've heard. This is Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. Over the Hunter Biden story, they think there should be a special prosecutor. They think this should be investigated. They want to know what happened that and how many years back does Biden Incorporated go? Now, let's dig into a little bit of this. So Biden Incorporated isn't uh, necessarily a bad way to put it. The emails on Hunter's laptop reveal that the Bidens had ties to a CCP-connected energy company. This Chinese energy company was working on a massive deal to sell an energy contract to Colombia, and they needed a big name to come in and help seal the deal. And that's where the Bidens lended their, quote, number one asset, their name. 
While Biden's reported business ties with Ukraine may be intriguing for many, the bigger story may be China, especially after an email independently confirmed by Fox points to a planned deal between both Biden's and a Chinese energy company with strong ties to the Chinese government. And that is leading the Wall Street editorial board to say Americans deserve answers. And a headline that reads, the Biden's and China business, the story won't go away without explanation, even if the Veep wins. Now, what's particularly damning about these emails around this Chinese energy deals, that's where Hunter talks about the Biden brand and and about how that's going to help with this deal and about how his chairman, which is, which sources have said is Joe Biden, how his chairman is turning down certain aspects of the deal. It doesn't work for his chairman, for the big guy. And Biden has said again and again, there's nothing here. There's nothing to it. Even just recently, he's got he got asked about it on the campaign trail. He said, there's nothing here. OK, uh, Mr. Biden, if I can. Sure. Uh, Questions and controversy continues today about Hunter Biden, your son's. Uh, there is no controversy about overseas my son. dealing. It's Just all questions. A lie. It's a flat lie because the president has nothing else to run on. It's all a lie. If you notice, while American people are talking about what's happening to their families, he has no plan. In the debate, he has no plan. Everything from the Wall Street Journal, every other major news outlet has said what he's saying is simply not true about my son. It's not. It's just simply not true. You see, Joe is he's very emphatic about it. It's, it's just simply not true. The, the, the president is lying. Problem is, yesterday, audio of Hunter Biden was leaked showing he knew he was working with China's top spy. He knew this guy was a top spy. And he's, he's really rather put off by all this because Hunter's having to do all the hard work. You know, nobody really appreciates Hunter. Take a listen to this audio that I have uh, the source material linked in the show notes was uh, leaked yesterday. I get calls from my father to tell me that the New York Times is calling. This is Hunter. But my old partner, Eric, who literally has done me harm for I don't know how long, is the one taking the calls because my father will not stop sending the calls to Eric. I have another New York Times reporter calling about my representation of the literally... Dr. Patrico, the fucking spy chief of China. Now, what that, what that moment right there in this audio reveals is that the Biden family was aware that one of their business partners was the top spy in China. That is remarkable audio. These are the words of Hunter Biden himself admitting that he was working with the top spy in China. I'm gonna ba- I'll back it up here. And listen to this. Representation of the, literally, Dr. Patrico, the fucking spy chief of China, who started the company that my partner, who was worth $323 billion, founded, and is now missing. The re- isn't it, isn't that interesting? You hear in the missing, in certain words... His, the son sure sounds like the father, doesn't he? It just sounds like a younger version of Joe. Uh, and as I do a lot of these clips, I go back in time and I listen to younger Joe. And so it, I really hear it uh, like father, like son, or like son, like father, I guess. Now, <clears throat> what, I, what you just heard him talk about is how a, a businessman in China was accused of fraud and then he disappeared. One of the richest men in the world just disappeared. And he's a little freaked out about it. Who started the company that my partner, who was worth $323 billion, found it and is now missing. The richest man in the world is missing, who was my partner. He was missing since I last saw him in his $58 million apartment and signed a $4 billion deal to build the fucking largest fucking LNG port in the world. And. I am receiving calls from the Southern District of New York, from the U.S. Attorney himself. My best friend in business, Devin, has named me as a witness without telling me. In a criminal case, and my father, without telling me. Poor, poor Hunter. And unfortunately, another business partner is now screwing him. Tony Bobolinsky. Now, Tony will claim to have the best intentions at heart for the American people. But the reality is, 
if you go through some of these emails from the laptop, <laughs> they're right in there. <laughs> Tony is pissed that he was cut out of some of the action. He didn't make some of the money from a deal. And he feels like the Bidens screwed him. So he has an axe to grind here, but that doesn't, I think, delegitimize the information. In fact, there's been more confirmations from people in those emails that, yes, they were they were the recipients or the senders. And now you have Tony Bobolinsky who is saying the same thing. And he, as a former service member, and I believe his brother and his father were service members, finds the entire connection to Russia. And anybody who's buying that this is Russia misinformation, extremely insulting. I'm only sitting here because they have not, not only have they not gone on record, they've denied it and they've tarred my family name and a long history of serving this country and have other congressmen now talking about Russian disinformation. This whole uh, smear on Joe Biden uh, comes from the Kremlin. I held a top secret clearance from the NSA and the DOE. I served this country for four years in one of the most elite environments in the world, Naval Nuclear Power Training Command. And to have a congressman out there speaking about Russian disinformation or Joe Biden at a, uh, at a public debate referencing Russian disinformation when he knows he sat face to face with me, that I was traveled around the world with his son and his brother, to say that and associate that with my name is absolutely disgusting to me. He does seem pretty serious about that. Now, he was on uh, Cocker Tuckerson because, like I've told you before, no one is touching this story. So when the media goes on and says these claims haven't been confirmed, we haven't been able to confirm this. This has not been. Nobody is trying to confirm it. They're not trying to they're not trying to get the information. They're trying to avoid the story. And the only reason he went on Cucker's show is because literally no one else, even after this guy held a press conference saying he has three devices with emails and then released pictures of the devices showing the emails, links in the show notes, no one called him for an interview except for Cucker. So the reason you wound up here in this interview, and, and I, I just want to affirm for our audience, I, I don't think you had any desire to do this interview. Absolutely no desire. Is because nobody else told your story. So were you surprised, given the, the trove of documents you have, given the credibility that I, I think is apparent that you have, that no other news organization took the time to unpack this story? Um, surprised is probably uh, an understatement of the year. Shocked, because um, it would be different if this was my word against Jim Biden, Hunter Biden, and Joe Biden. Right. That would be a very slippery slope not something I would take the personal and family risk on it, but I've provided more documents and facts that validate times, meetings, who participated. That email to me on May 13th was generated by somebody else sent to me. It wasn't me generating. These text messages that I've provided are Hunter Biden in the first person, Jim Biden in the first person, James Gillier in the first person, Rob Walker in the first person. It's not me generating the text messages, it's them speaking. So. You can interview them. The FBI can interview them. Our government can interview them. But I was shocked that not only the media is not only discussing this, they're going to the other extreme. They're dismissing it as Russian disinformation. This country has heard enough about Russia. We went through three years of every day, Russia, Russia, Russia. It's just absurd. The Cold War is over. <laughs> I had to leave that in there. <laughs> I should actually just clip that part right there. The Cold War is over. Exactly. <laughs> I, I got to clip that. I got to remember to do that. <laughs> you know, so this week what we've had now is we've had these emails that came out that showed this deal in China. Then Tony came out and he revealed his three phones that have the email, another copy of the, his, his copy of the emails on there that match Hunter's copy of the emails. And now we have leaked audio of actual Hunter Biden himself talking about the China deal, which reflects the details that are in the emails, including the names and the dates. That is pretty, I don't know about, you know, I don't know about Giuliani getting it and the shop owner. All of that remains a bit suspicious to me. But the legitimacy of the contents, including the fact that there's some really grotesque pictures of Hunter on there, which... More of that's just going to come out and, and, unless they address this. And I, I was trying to figure out what this guy's angle was, this, this Tony 
this Tony guy, because he's not really given us a lot of information other than the emails themselves, which are are very valuable. But he himself isn't really adding anything new in his interview with Cucker. But he did make one point that I think is is worth considering here. And and remember, this was the core issue of Russiagate, and this was really a big part of what the impeachment about was about too, was influence and and this is why they still want Trump's taxes as well. Is what who who does he owe money to, right? It's all about external influences on the president. So I think Joe Biden and the Biden family are compromised. Um, obviously I've referenced that I held a Q clearance, you're briefed on compromise and Yeah, so the guy the guy likes to mention his clearance a lot. You know, who you're able to talk with and deal and do business with. And uh, I just don't see, given the history here and the facts, how Joe can't be um, uh, influenced in in some manner based on the history that they have where here with CFC and stuff like that. So as a citizen and an American taxpayer, I'm very, very concerned. It's worth considering. Uh, it It is, if, if you're interested, I linked to some of it, but there's more of the interview that's on YouTube. If you can stomach Tucker for that long, you might want to watch the whole thing. Um, I think it's just interesting, at least, so you have the background, because there's not anybody else that's touching it. And I think that's one of the things that's frustrated me the most with this story. It's been really disappointing to watch the tech companies and the media just not touch this thing. They're afraid. They're afraid of of talking bad about the new boss. You know, they don't want to. They want to be on the good side of the new boss, and I think they also feel like it's somehow their responsibility somehow their duty to protect you from information that might lead you to the wrong conclusion. Like they have to be the shepherds of what you find out about because they don't trust you to come to the right conclusion on your own. So they have to control what you're exposed to. And I think it's, it, what is probably bothering me the most about it is just the, the massive scale of it. It's just such an unbelievable scale of all mainstream uh, outlets of information now. And I can't help but just push back on that a little bit. When when there's a story that nobody wants to talk about, well, guess what story I want to talk about then, <laughs> you know? So I, I really feel like in a way it's cliche to say it, but the Streisand effect, there's like a modern version of it now in the new information world. Social media giants facing backlash from limiting the access to the New York Post story critical about Hunter Biden, where it essentially says that Hunter took money for access to his father. That's the allegation. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey tweeting, our communication around our actions on the New York Post article was not great and blocking URL sharing via tweet or DM with zero context as to why we're blocking unacceptable. And the problem is, is and Twitter has you know, tried to claim like they're, they're sorry about it and all of that, but they're really only part of the problem. It's, it's, it's really a, it's a much wider problem. And now, yesterday and the day before, I was seeing all these stories come out about all the different platforms, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all the different news sites that are taking like all of these uh, proactive measures to make sure that election misinformation isn't spread around and they're going to label different tweets and all these different posts and they're going to try to come up with information disclosure banners that say don't believe this person because they're not you know a mainstream accredited source and i i guess i can see i can see the rationale and i can see the logic but we have yet so many examples of where the implementation was done wrong and they they quote unquote made a mistake well five days on twitter might as well be a year Tweets are they go viral. It's it's kind of an in the moment thing. That's kind of what the whole thing's about. And so if you block somebody or block a link for five days or label them, and you know, oh sorry, that was a mistake. It took us a few days, you know, we had to you know, it was the weekend and then we got together Monday morning, we had our team meeting, and then we uh, definitely made an action item to clean that up and you know, by Wednesday night we had it we had it cleaned up. It's not good enough, right? The damage is done. Within 24 hours, maybe, you know, in the first couple of hours, let's be honest, the damage is done. And we're going to get to the hearing today with the big tech companies in a little bit. But I think they're just part of the problem because I think the media is going to take the same steps. They're going to on election night, they're going to be they're going to be so careful and so cautious. And and they're not going to want to make the same mistakes that were made in the 2000 Bush Gore election. 
See, with Bush Gore, part of the issue that happened was is the networks, I think it was NBC, they called it too early. And then there was a lot of pressure by all of the other networks to also then make their calls. And pretty soon the network started all calling it and they were calling it for Bush. So then Gore, he called up Bush and he said, congratulations. You know, you've won. Um, And he, you know, he had made the concession. He comes out and he does his concession speech. And this is all off the top of my head here, but I seem to recall then pretty soon after that, there was some other information that was coming in. And all of a sudden it started to look like, well, wait a minute, now Gore is going to win. And then there was a contesting, there was a, then the Gore, the Gore camp contested the results and they kind of were picky about where they did the recount. And it was like really kind of contentious because where they picked to do the recount was clearly Gore territory. And it just kind of went on and on. And there was there was discussion about how people were trying to punch for one person and they accidentally punched for another person or the punch machines were too jammed up to register the punch. Like there was all of this hoopla around the election for days and days and days. And Gore had to retract his concession. And then everybody on the right just nailed him for that. He never really he never really recovered from that initial concession. So this time around. I don't think the networks are going to be so jumpy to call it. And I don't think this is the big one is I don't think whichever campaign seems to be losing. At least for the first 24, 48 hours, I don't think they're going to they're going to concede. It's going to be a weird one. It's going to be a historic train wreck. And we are dealing with immediate and a technology platform for distribution of communications that is completely untrustworthy, that seems to be completely biased. And, and I'm just so damn disappointed to see it because it's it's that kind of stuff that creates the Streisand effect. It's that kind of stuff that radicalizes people to vote for the other side that isn't trying to do that. It it creates so many more problems. Censorship and 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 control like that always loses on the web eventually. It, it always has a backlash every single time. And now we're watching these stupid fools do it again. And now as, as a public, we're losing trust in the media at a scale which I, I didn't think I thought we, I thought they were so bankrupt. I didn't think our trust could go any lower in these bastards. And yet, having watched the way they've handled this Hunter Biden thing and the way they slopped up Adam Schiff's Russia, Russia, Russia crap, and ran with it, and and they so firmly believe in it, I've realized that they can't help themselves. It's a flaw in us as a species. We are so tribal, and the way our brains work fundamentally prevent us from taking in information that alters our worldview in a way that would cause us to have some sort of existential crisis. Like the brain protects itself from it. It's a protection mechanism. Confirmation bias is a protection mechanism. And when they take in this information, they have to deny it because it would totally wreck their worldview. And so what we have seen is through denial and social pressure, we have seen one of the most important stories that really exposed. And here's why it's important, by the way, side tangent, not because of Hunter and Joe. Why this story is important is because this is the formula that makes D.C. run. This is anybody that has a job in D.C. is implementing a formula like this. People in office, they get a reputation, they become a brand, especially high up in the federal government, the senators and your Congress critters and people in the administration, their names become a brand. And the people that are associated with them, good friends, business partners and family members, they leverage this. Go look at the net worth of Dianne Feinstein's husband. Go look at the net worth of Nancy Pelosi. You don't make that on a, you don't get that rich making one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year. You got you got to just think about how the families and how how all the people associated with these very famous people on the world stage how they make money and that's what this shows is it shows the formula. Think about it. The Bidens were making money before he was VP and after he was VP. 
47 years in D.C. means you've come up with a system that works. And it needs analysis because this is at the root of corruption in D.C. right here. And it's it's obviously variations of this, but that's why this story is so important. And that's why it's a gosh darn hootenanny shame. (laughs) Trying to think of something new to say that they're keeping it from you. It really, truly is. And it is tremendously hypocritical, tremendously hypocritical, because if this was Don Jr., if this was Don Jr.'s laptop and John Jr.'s emails, they'd be all over this like a fly on you know what. They really would. If this was Trump's taxes, you, in fact, I have a clip from uh, the recent uh, Joe Rogan podcast. He had Glenn Greenwald on, and I got a couple of his other clips in the show notes if you'd like some more of this. For me, I can only take so much Glenn at a time because his audio is just crap, but he makes a really, really great point here about how the media is putting their hypocrisy on display, and it, to my further point, it's just going to further bankrupt any trust that people have in their ability to cover current events. This is why I don't think I've ever been as disgusted with my colleagues in my profession as I have been the last three weeks because of this story, and I'll tell you why. In general, journalists do not care about where material comes from if it's A, authentic, and B, newsworthy. Just a reminder... Uh, Some of you might be new. Glenn Greenwald was the journalist behind releasing the Snowden documents. So he has a lot of experience with taking information that may or may not be true, having to verify it, and then releasing a bombshell and then waiting for a camp to confirm and deny that information. For example, in 2016, somebody mailed a copy of Donald Trump's tax, tax, a copy of Donald Trump's tax returns to the New York Times just dropped it in the mail and sent it to their newsroom. They got it. To this day, they have no idea who sent it to them, let alone what the motives of that person were or what they had to do to get them. Did they break in, commit crimes? Did they hack? I'll also point out during this era, this was there was tremendous amount of leaks coming out of the White House. It was like a sieve and they were anonymous leaks and they were anonymous leaks from the intelligence agency. The media had no qualms about running full speed with that kind of stuff. Was it the Russians? Was it Iran? They, the New York Times has no idea. But they, of course, they've reported on the contents as they should because that's what journalists do. And when asked, when their lead reporter, who's won two Pulitzers, was asked by NPR, how can you report on a document when you don't even know who gave it to you or what their motives were, he said what I would say and what all journalists should say, which is I don't give a shit about the sources motives. Sometimes you get great documents from sources who have terrible motives, you know, like they want to get vengeance on somebody. They feel, you know, like Deep Throat leaked about the Nixon administration to the Washington Post, not because he was a Snowden, not because he was noble, but because he was resentful that Nixon passed him over to be the director of the FBI. So that's, so this idea that journalists are using, like, oh my God, this might've come from Russia. Therefore we shouldn't report it. It is a complete corruption of the journalistic, uh, function. But the reality, Joe, like, why are we even talking about this? Like, everyone knows the reality. I work in journalism. I have, you know, lots of colleagues that I work with. I have tons of friends in every news outlet up the east and up and down the east coast from New York to Washington and then on the west coast. The reason is, is because they're all desperate for Trump to lose. That's the reality. They all want Biden to win. And so they don't want to report any information or any stories that might help Biden lose, in part because they want Biden to win, but also because in their social circles, everybody essentially is anti-Trump and pro-Biden, and they don't want to spend four years being accused of having helped Trump won like they were in 2016 when they reported on those emails that were leaked by the WikiLeaks. And it's just fear. They don't want to be yelled at. They don't want to be scorned in their social circles. And so they're willing to abdicate their journalistic function, which is reporting on one of the most powerful people in the world and Joe Biden, in part because they want to manipulate and tinker with the election using journalism, but in much bigger part because they're scared of being yelled at on Twitter. It's fucking pathetic. And it's going to ruin people's faith in journalism for a long time, even more so than it already is ruined, for good reason. I now defend people who say fake news, as you were saying, even though in 2016 I didn't like it either, because it's just true. 
It's just true. They will lie. They will print things that they have no idea whether or not they're true. If the CIA tells them to, or if they think they can get attention from it about from, for it, or applause uh, 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 from their colleagues on Twitter. Um, and I don't blame you know if you have faith in mainstream news institutions, you're really irrational. I, I completely, completely agree with that last point. You have to be completely irrational to think what the mainstream media is putting out there is the legitimate truth. And it's so damn disappointing. And I really worry that it's going to get worse when Biden wins, if he wins. And in that point, to that point, it's going to make it's going to make my motivation even stronger to talk about the stories that they're not talking about. And it'll have that effect for other people as well. You know, if Biden wins, we will see. Um, Trump is out there uh, just like pounding the pavement. He's doing sometimes three rallies a day. Uh, last night, he stayed in Florida. The night before, he stayed in Vegas. I mean, I don't think he's getting any actual White House work done, but um, he's sure out there campaigning. And unfortunately, that means uh, the uh, number two in charge. No, not the VP, because he's kind of like, you know, the first officer, but the lieutenant. <laughs> I'm making Star Trek references here. The chief of staff. Uh, he's handling some of the press questions while Trump's real busy getting reelected. And uh, he's not he's not doing real good. In fact, he gave the Biden campaign a real golden gift this week. Groups and family groups. First, it was large groups. Now it's small groups. He's answering a question about covid. It's now this is now, 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 he's talking to Jake Tapper. Well, that's coming from exactly, all sorts of places that's exactly the, the point. out of control. So, so here's what we have to do. We're not going to control the pandemic. We are going to control the fact that we get uh, vaccines. We're not going to control the pandemic. Uh, as the chief of staff making that the official position of the White House, the Biden camp was able to just run with that. And you could you'll hear here. Tapper's like, wait, what? What did you therapeutics and other mitigation? Why are we going to get areas control of the pandemic? Because, because it is a contagious virus, just like the flu. Yeah, but why not it's make contag- efforts to contain it? Well, we are making efforts to contain it. By running all over the country, not wearing a mask. Jake, That's what the vice can, president's doing. We can get into the back. Oh, what an idiot. What an idiot. I mean, talk about a blunder just like five, six days. Well, when he made that, it was like eight days before the election. And then while we're talking about leaked audio, Jared Kushner has himself a little quote unquote leaked audio. This is actually audio that Bob Woodward took uh, back in April. And I think it's just interesting from a how the Trump administration, like Trump's core team, assuming Jared is part of that core team, and I think he is how they were thinking about the situation with the public, with with reopening, and the messaging. And I just wanted to play this. I don't really think we learned much new other than insights into their, their thought process and character. The last thing was uh, kind of doing the, the guidelines, which was interesting. And that, in my mind, was almost like, you know, it was almost like Trump, getting the country back from the doctors right in the trump getting the country back from the doctors april 18th 2020 what he said there was you know it was almost like trump getting the country back from the doctors when they released those reopening guidelines that were i don't know they were they were all right um back in april which seems so naive now uh, but listen to getting getting the getting the back from the doctors getting it back you know those damn those damn doctors <laughs> <laughs> who are who are advising our response to a pandemic? It was almost like Trump getting the country back from the doctors, right? In the sense that what he now did was, you know, he's going to own the open up. There were three phases. There was the panic phase, the pain phase, and then the comeback phase. I guess we're just still in the comeback phase. doesn't mean there's not still a lot of pain and there won't be pain for a while. But that basically was we've now put out rules to get back to work. Trump's now back in charge. It's not the doctors. They've kind of, we, we have like a negotiated settlement. A negotiated settlement. We have a negotiated settlement with them. That's a weird way to put that. And so, you know, you look at like the Republican Party platform, it's a document meant to like piss people off basically more, you know, because it's done by activists. Yeah. So you have a disproportionality between uh, what issues people are vocal on and and what the people, the voters, really care about. And what Trump's been able to do is, I, I say he's basically did a full hostile takeover of the Republican Party, and I don't think it's even as much about the issues. I think it's about the attitude. Well, 
if that doesn't tell you something about the Trump team right there, it's so interesting too that he talks about his father-in-law as Trump and not Don or Dad or I guess maybe he wouldn't, but I just I find that I just find that whole thing not to be all that revealing, but more telling really. Um, and I, you know, I don't really think it's all of that scandalous either. The Trump campaign Twitter account is locked as well. Well, I haven't heard that, but if it is, it is. But it's going to all end up in a big uh, lawsuit, and there. Th- there we go. It's all going to end up in a big lawsuit. I just thought I'd put that in there. He says he doesn't want it to, but it's going to. Well, let's see. We're going to talk about the social media companies, but I thought actually we should talk about COVID a little bit. It's not like it's gone away. In fact, it's, it appears that Germany is considering new lockdown restrictions. Um, in fact, there's been protests in, in Italy. L- let's, let's go through some of this. Now in the U.S., the seven-day average of the new cases topping 70,000 for the first time. Hospitalizations hitting their highest since mid-August. Meantime, in Europe, multiple countries are now issuing new restrictions as they try to contain COVID outbreaks as well. And CBC's Annette Weisbach joins us live from Frankfurt this morning. Annette. Well, thank you so much. We just today in the morning got news that Angela Merkel and the regional prime minister are going to meet today and we are going to have sweeping changes to what is actually possible in public life here in Germany from November 4th onwards. So they don't want to call it a lockdown, but it is a lockdown. They might call it a lockdown light or wave breaker lockdown because we have another day of record infections here in Germany. So essentially what's going to happen, restaurants will close, gyms will close, theaters will close, operas, etc. Everything is going to close down. Don't call it a lockdown, though. It's not a lockdown. No, it's a lockdown light. The coronavirus pandemic is raging again in Europe, and new rules are going into place to slow it down. That's led to violent protests in places like Italy. Europe now reports nearly half of the world's new COVID cases, 1.3 million just last week, an all-time high. Seth Doan is in Rome. Not so good. Not so good. Uh, So instead of that's, it's always weird when U.S. media, CBS in particular, covers um, anything outside the U.S. because they just do a horrible job. So instead, let's go to the BBC in their uh, morning breakfast edition. Good morning. morning. It's It's Saturday, Saturday, the 24th of October. October. Our top story is that Wales Wales begins begins its first full day of lockdown with residents having to stay at home unless they're critical workers and non-essential shops and businesses forced to close. Meanwhile, around 7 million people across northern England are now having to follow the country's highest level of coronavirus measures after South Yorkshire became the latest area to move into the very high tier. The stock market in the U.S. has taken a beating as... The lockdown news has rolled in. At least that's what most of the analysts seem to be attributing it to. Who really knows when it's this close to an election? But that seems to be what the general take is. It's not all bad, though. Melbourne, which uh, had the most draconian lockdown for 112 days, is seeing a bit of easing after what has has been really a, a, a rough one. Good evening. For months, it seemed like a distant dream, but tonight Melbourne is tantalisingly close to sweet, sweet freedoms. Daniel Andrews choked back tears as he finally lifted the shackles on a draconian lockdown that sent businesses to the wall and almost crushed our spirits. From tomorrow night, a drink at the pub, a meal out with family and friends, or even a shopping spree, things we once took for granted, will signal the start of our city's new COVID normal. Brett McLeod begins tonight's coverage. It's been months since the Premier had news this good to deliver, and it could be heard in his voice. We haven't had a zero case for a very long time. We haven't had a zero case day. And why it's emotional today is because people have given a lot. People have done amazing things. And that led to a burst of relief for businesses who've been in limbo. There have been huge queues at COVID stations, Melbournians stepping up to give the testing numbers that gave us this. Rarely has a double zero looked like such a great score. The last days with zero cases were in early June. This took the 14-day rolling average well below the maximum of five. Mystery infections over the past fortnight sit at seven. So I guess they have this 
mystery infections category now. So so they can kind of like shunt stuff off into the mystery infections category and doesn't affect their main score. And so now they can claim it's okay to open. Like it seems like they just find a way to kind of game the numbers there. That now is the time to open up. Now is the time to congratulate every single Victorian for staying the course. From midnight tomorrow, retail will reopen with density limits. Hospitality reopens with indoor and outdoor caps. As well, beauty and personal services, but a mask must be worn. The four reasons to leave home will be removed. And any number of households can meet outside, but no more than 10 people. Non-contact sport for adults can resume. Outdoor religious gatherings will be allowed for up to 20 people, while 10 people can attend indoor services. Up to 10 will be allowed at weddings and up to 20 at funerals. Are you, are you appreciating how arbitrary and nuanced this is? And outdoor entertainment venues can seat 50 people. We'll have to wait until tomorrow to get an idea what home visits will look like. The idea of household bubbles seemingly gone. Uh-oh, Christmas is is in danger. It's a war. We don't want to do a bubble because we think that can be a particularly confusing. The most dangerous environment for the spread of this virus is in your home. In two weeks, further restrictions will be eased. From 11.59 on November 8, you'll be able to travel more than 25 kilometres from home. Yeah, it was five before. And remember, this is when they only had like, you know, eight active cases. The ring of steel around Melbourne will be gone. Gyms and fitness studios can reopen with density limits. Hospitality venues can then seat 40 people inside and 70 outside. Caps on religious gatherings will be increased to 20 inside and 50 outside, while 20 mourners can attend indoor funerals and 50 outdoors. Non-contact indoor sports will resume for under-18s. Indoor pools will reopen, allowing up to 20 swimmers. And accommodation will also reopen. This belongs to every single Victorian. Every single Victorian who's followed the rules, stayed the course, worked with me and my team oh. to bring this second wave to an end. But it is not over. Stage three restrictions returned to Melbourne in July for what was then meant to be six weeks. So they've been under these stage three for that long. Three weeks later, as daily case numbers reach more than 670, Melbourne was put in stage four. Lockdown. Oh, yikes. Now we're talking a total of 671 cases at that point. In total, more than 110 days. How certain can Melbournians be that we won't be going back into lockdown again in the near future? See, that's the first thing I was wondering, is once you start reopening, and there's lots of clips of everybody going back to the bars, and, you know, they're trying to do the social distancing thing, just like it, just like it happened here, just like it happened here, and then guess what? The cases start going back up again. Well, if we all work together, uh, the government will play its part. Our big team of public health professionals and others will play their part. And if each and every Victorian plays their part... As Melbournians prepared to get back on the beers... That wasn't an answer, was it? The Premier indicated he was ready for something more fortifying. Can I confirm that what you're saying is, is that we can finally get back on the beers? Ah, uh, the hard-hitting press after the government has locked the people down for 112 days in, an un- in the most draconian measures around the globe. They have the hard-hitting questions. Fortifying. Can I confirm that what you're saying is, is that we can finally get back on the beers? Uh, I don't know that I'll be drinking a beer tonight. I might get a little higher up the shelf. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because he's not a dictator because uh, he makes jokes. Now, I know those restrictions kind of went by and they broke it up with clips from the from the premiere and I, I broke it up. And so I, I wanted to just play it back for you a little bit fast. So if you listen to this show on fast speed, you're going to get a little warped. But uh, here, let's just make sure we get all those new restrictions that are now what they consider not being locked down. From midnight tomorrow, retail will reopen with density limits. Hospitality reopens with indoor and outdoor caps. As well, beauty and personal services, but a mask must be worn. The four reasons to leave home will be removed, and any number of households can meet outside, but no more than 10 people. Non-contact sport for adults can resume. Outdoor religious gatherings will be allowed for up to 20 people, while 10 people can attend indoor services. Up to 10 will be allowed at weddings, and up to 20 at funerals. And outdoor entertainment venues can seat 50 people. In two weeks, further restrictions will be eased. From 11.59 on November 8, you'll be able to travel more than 25 kilometres from home. The ring of steel around Melbourne will be gone. Gyms and fitness studios can reopen with 
density limits, hospitality venues can then seat 40 people inside and 70 outside. Caps on religious gatherings will be increased to 20 inside and 50 outside, while 20 mornings contain indoor funerals yeah. and 50 outdoors. Okay, I got Not it. Contact indoor sports will resume for under 18s. Indoor yeah. pools will reopen. Allowing up to 20 That's 42 seconds of a professional announcer being sped up over and over again, eventually to 200%, and it was still too long to play in the show. But I'm sure it'll go fine. People will have no problem following that, and the cases won't rise again. What could it go wrong? I'm sure you're probably celebrating uh, the nomination and now uh, the swearing-in of your good buddy, Amy Comey Barrett, who I think you hang out and have beers with on a regular basis. It is official. Uh, She is now on the Supreme Court. From judge to Justice Barrett. Hi, Amy Comey Barrett. Exactly one month after being nominated by President Trump, Amy Coney Barrett now joins the nation's highest court, concluding one of the quickest and most controversial Supreme Court confirmations in modern American history. One of the most controversial nominations in modern American history. One of the quickest and most controversial Supreme Court confirmations in modern American history. I love the Constitution and the democratic republic that it establishes, and I will devote myself to preserving it. The ceremonial swearing-in Monday night at the White House with Justice Clarence Thomas doing the honors. So help me God. So help me God. President Trump one week until the election looking to capitalize on the victory that cements the court's 6-3 conservative majority. It is highly fitting that Justice Barrett fills the seat of a true pioneer for women. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Following last month's packed nomination ceremony, where at least 14 attendees, including the president, later tested positive for coronavirus, Monday night a dramatically different scene on the South Lawn. Guests socially distanced, with the White House requiring everyone there wear a mask. The late evening event punctuating the most partisan confirmation in more than 150 years. All but one Senate Republican, Maine Susan Collins, voting in favor of Barrett. Every Democrat voting against her four years after Senate Republicans blocked President Obama from filling a court vacancy. What this administration and this Republican Senate has done is exercise the power that was given to us by the American people. You You know, uh, you should check out the show notes. Uh, Seems Mitch McConnell uh, had something happen to him. I I wouldn't just come out and normally suggest that he had the crap beaten out of him. Except for when when Harry Reid was in his position, but on the Democrat side, Harry Reid also ended up with bruises and 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 band-aids all over himself. And then he first had claimed it was a fitness accident, but then later claimed it was a fight with his brother. And now Mitch McConnell has bruises on his hands and in his face and particularly on his lip, like somebody punched him right in the face. And he won't answer questions about it. And if they're not, if it's not from a fight or from a fall, then he's got like horrendous health issues. But um, you have to check the notes for the visual on that, if you want. You might want to skip that one. It's not so pretty. And Democratic Senator Chris Coons went on um, the air shortly after all this went down, and he was, I think, feeling fairly emotional, and just came right out and said that we have to have an open conversation on court packing now. We've got to have a wide open conversation about how do we rebalance our courts? Yes, the two Supreme Court cases that have been stolen where these processes that are just wildly hypocritical have been used to jam through partisan nominees. But we got to look at our federal courts as a whole, Rachel, because we've seen hundreds of conservative judges put on circuit courts and district courts all over this country in the last four years. In many cases, too young, too unqualified and too far right to be allowed to sit peaceably without our re-examining the process, the results, and the consequence. Now, I think this is a major, major agenda item in a Biden presidency. It's not just the Supreme Court and court packing, which I think will be very likely an agenda item. I think it's going to be broader than that. Now, this is going off of Wikipedia, but as of uh, October 26th, when it was last updated... It appears that the Senate has confirmed 220 Article Three judges nominated by Trump. 220 judges. So we're just like talking beyond the Supreme Court, 220 judges. Now, 53 judges for the Court of Appeals, 162 judges for the United States Districts Courts, and then two judges. If I go, I didn't, I don't remember exactly, but I'm going by my, my recent memory, right? Two judges to the Supreme Court. Um. 
or is it more than that, actually? For some reason, I, I, I want to almost say three, but my memory is failing me. That has to be in uh, an item that they're gonna have to f- they're gonna have to fix, right? Like, you get what I'm saying from a from a Democrat strategy standpoint. This cannot this cannot stand. And whatever it takes to rebalance the system, they're gonna do it. And I, you know, it's not just uh, Chris Coon who's not handling it so well. I, I'd say the most of them are are not handling it very well. You could maybe even call it a meltdown. It will go down as one of the darkest days in the 231-year history of the United States Senate. Originalism is racist. Originalism is sexist. Originalism is homophobic. And that is they have participated in a project that has led to the deaths of probably 100,000 Americans who didn't have to die. That's the other accomplishment here, Judge Barrett. The Amy Coney Barretts must be prosecuted and convicted and removed from our society. Amy Coney <laughs> we'll all be saying this name a lot, I'm sure, because she's a fucking nut. It's going to be six to three against that kind of interest. We thought that things were going well uh, after the Emancipation Proclamation, and we went into that period of time uh, that we call a Reconstruction Era. Oh, you know what? I just looked it up. Uh, Neil Gorsh, I forgot. That's right, from Colorado, uh, re- replacing Antion Scalia. And then there was Brett Kavanaugh and now Amy Coney Barrett. Woof. Yeah. There's no way they're going to let that stand. That's that will be something they have to address. And likewise, if the Republicans win, big tech is going to get it. And I I think they're actually going to get it regardless of who wins, but they're really going to get it if the Republicans win. CEOs from three of the world's largest tech companies testified before the Senate Commerce Committee. Just six days before Election Day, they faced questions about censorship and misinformation on each of their respective platforms. Twitter's Jack Dorsey, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, and Google's Sundar Pichai were grilled by lawmakers on Section 230. That law has become increasingly controversial for lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. Under Section 230, social networks cannot be held responsible for information posted on their platforms. During their opening statement, the three tech giant CEOs discussed the importance of the law. Section 230 is the most important law protecting Internet speech. That's Jack Dorsey. He says without Section 230, there is no speech on the internet, uh, I I just simply I simply am just beyond frustrated because I think Section two thirty is really important, especially uh, not just for Twitter and Facebook. Screw them, Facebook. In fact, Zuck Zuck's all in, man. He says, "Come regulate us, uh, reconsider two thirty altogether." Like Zuck is all in. He is asking for the regulation. He is asking for the reconsideration of two thirty. Very interesting. Very boring, you guys. I think the tech CEOs try to be super boring. Like they all Xanaxed up hardcore before this, and it was it was like the most boring uh, hearing I've seen in a while. But Twitter's trying and Facebook are trying to position it as well. The left says we don't do enough, and the right says we do too much. But that's really crap. The moment Twitter and Facebook and others to started started editorializing, started determining what content can live and what content can't. Once they started in, once they started making those decisions, I think they sort of invalidated their 230 protection status. There is provisions in 230 for um, what do they call it? Oh man, I read it forever ago. But there is a provision for like your best judgment. Like if you do due process and and try real hard to make sure that it's okay, you can remove speech from a platform, and they don't consider it editorial. And that's that's the line they're trying to walk. But it's so clearly editorial. At one point. A senator had asked them to name a single liberal person or media outlet that they had censored. And Sundar Pichai, Mark Zuckerberg, and Dorsey, they couldn't uh, they couldn't name one. <laughs> it, you know, so it seems like, yeah, they've it's been a, it's, there is a particular lean to it. And I, I don't actually think it so much falls down left or right. I think it falls down establishment. You guys always know that. I see it more as corporate corporatist party versus uh, establishment war party, and um, I, I think you know Twitter tends to be a lot of the well all of these Silicon Valley companies they just tend to be very liberal. It's uh, and it's a nature of it's just a part product of where they're from, and I think in some ways it's caused them to do some of these uh, really 
uh, ambitious projects. There is a pretty good example, though. Uh, like here's an, It's pretty low-key, but this is uh, Senator Wicker. He calls out uh, one particular just blatant example of where Twitter let something that was kind of bad for public information, if, you're, if that's your guide, right? Uh, they let that sit while they jump right on something that uh, somebody on the right might say. Mr. Dorsey, your platform allows foreign dictators to post propaganda typically without restriction, yet you routinely restrict the president of the United States. And here's an example. In March, a spokesman for the Chinese Communist Party falsely accused the U.S. military of causing the coronavirus epidemic. He tweeted, quote, CDC was caught on the spot. When did patient zero begin in the U.S.? How many people are infected? What are the names of the hospitals? It might be the U.S. Army who brought the epidemic to Wuhan and on and on. Um, After this tweet was up for some two months, Twitter added a fact check label to this tweet after being up for two months. However, when President Trump tweeted about how mail-in ballots are vulnerable to fraud, a statement that I subscribe to and agree with, and a statement that isn't in in fact true, Twitter immediately imposed a fact check label on that tweet. Mr. Dorsey, how does a claim by Chinese communists that the U.S. military is to blame for COVID remain up for two months without a fact check and the president's tweet about security of mail-in ballots get labeled instantly? It's a really boring answer. Do you want to hear it? Are you sure? All right. Okay. I'll just give you an example. You can hear a little bit. Well, first and foremost, um, we, as you mentioned, we did label that tweet. Um, As we think about enforcement, we consider severity of offline of potential offline harm, um, and we act as quickly as we can. Uh, we there you go. That's essentially it. Have taken action uh, against tweets from world leaders all around the world. <laughs> I like that part, though. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> all right. Well, geez, you guys. Again, I'd love to have you join me. You know. There's no better way to social distance on election night than to uh, celebrate with Unfilter in a virtual party. So join me. I'll be, again, planning live to go 5 p.m. Pacific's, 8 p.m. Eastern. I may jump on earlier depending on the, on the direction the news is going because, you know, we're all going to be watching it all day long. I, I am kind of tempted to get the stream up earlier and just start streaming news feeds and then actually record a bit of it. And then I will release that as next week's episode. Uh, I did that with last year's too. It's kind of an unusual format for an episode, but it's it's histor- it's history, and it's like us live capturing it. So let's do it together. Do your uh, due diligence first, and go follow the unfiltered Twitch account and join the Discord. So that way you're in there. And uh, if you're enjoying this, or you think this kind of stuff is more important than ever, then I could really use your support over at Patreon.com/slash/unfiltered. That's how this show is made possible. It's not part of the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. It is. Something I do on my own in my spare time, and uh, I would like to make it at least um, try to pay for my time, which is gonna, which is always really tricky. So I'm not, you know, I guess maybe that's not a, <laughs> a realistic expectation, but at least pay for a day or two of my time would be great, and also just kind of help keep the show sustainable. That's really what I'm going for. Is if I can justify it from, you know, my time standpoint, that makes the show sustainable, and also it's a good way to. I I feel like guarantee you're going to get at least another perspective. Uh, you know, you're going to hear maybe something you didn't hear somewhere else or, or, you know, something else I know people use the show for is this is the news source they can check once a week. If they don't have time to keep up with everything when they don't, or when they're traveling, this is also a great use for the show is just stay current on the stuff that dented the universe that week. So join me next week. Cause it's going to be a big one. <laughs> it's going to be a massive one. And, um, I'd love to have you there unfiltered.show slash discord to get in that discord and twitch.tv slash unfilter. And this it's all embedded too at unfilter.show unfilter.show slash live. So let's uh, wrap it up with uh, one of my favorite clips of the week. And then, um, and then I'll be back for election day. He says with like a big gulp in his throat. And here's my favorite clip. Secondly, we're in a situation where we have put together 
And you guys did, did it for our administration, the President Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. Doesn't even know what he's saying. Maybe he does. Freudian slip? Who knows? We'll find out. <laughs> I, I'm not planning to know by the end of next week's show or stream. I'm just planning to document the peak of it. And then this show will be here every week after that to keep track of what's going on, however long it takes. Maybe it'll be a landslide. I suspect if we see a landslide in one particular direction on election night, we're going to hold for the mail-in voting. We'll see. You can send me your feedback at unfilter.show slash contact. The show is on Twitter, too. Go search up Unfilter Show on Twitter. That way you can find out about new announcements. You can get the show every single week at unfilter.show slash subscribe to get a feed that works for you. And then if you would, give it a review and a rating wherever you consume podcasts, especially if you are an Apple podcast consumer, because we don't have as many of those. That helps people find the show. It juices up the algorithm so we get recommendations when people search and stuff. And that's also a great way to support the show. If you can't support the show financially, recommending it to someone you know, word of mouth is the number one way to advertise podcasts or giving it a review, a star, a thumbs up. You know, give it a nice review because you also got to consider people who don't like this show, they definitely step up to review. That's one of the things about the unfiltered shows. There's, there's some people that get triggered when they listen to this. And so if you've enjoyed it, you might consider doing that. Helps us out. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Unfilter Program. I'll be back next week with uh, 334 and uh, the national time bomb known as the presidential election. See you then. Okay.